Welcome to the Hutto Community Church Podcast. HCC is located in Hutto, Texas, and is led by Pastor Russell Daniel. For more information, please check out our website at huttocommunitychurch.org. Good morning. I'm so glad to be here. If I don't know you, I'm Gina Anderson, and I think I know most of you, but um, I'm one of the elders here at Huddle Community Church, and I am so glad to be able to share a word with you today from the book of James, which we've been talking about for a while, Russell's been talking about for a while. And uh, so today we're going to read here in just a minute from James 3. We're moving into James 3. And I'm just going to open us up in prayer real quick, maybe more for me than for you, but for all of us. Lord, we love you, and we come before you ready to to hear from you, ready to get into your word. And I just pray that our hearts and minds would be open. I pray that you would speak through me, um, that this message would not be of me, but would be of you. And I pray that my words would be honoring to your word and that we would leave here empowered and equipped to be more careful with our words. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, today we're going to talk about words, the, the power and the danger of the tongue and the words that it utters. And words matter. Um, that I'm sure that we've all uttered maybe to our children or heard when we were kids, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But James says that's actually not true. And it's a good mantra when you're a teacher and you're tired of kids coming to you and telling you what so-and-so said to me. (laughs) But in life, in actuality, words do matter. They make a big difference. And so I'm going to start by asking you to just think about two questions so think about a time where, and if you brought, if you grabbed one of the papers in the back, um, you can write it down or if you take notes, but think about a time where your words were harmful, were hurtful, or destructive to someone else. What was it that you said? How did your words affect the other person? And then also think about a time when your words were helpful, were encouraging, were uplifting, or restorative to someone else. What did you say and what led you to say those words? And so as you're, as you're thinking about that, I'm going to share some examples from my life. And I just want to remind us that back in James 2, he said that mercy triumphs over judgment, right? So don't judge yourself. Um, don't judge me either with what I'm about to share. But offer mercy to yourself because today is a, a, about grace and going forward different and doing things different and heeding these words of James so much good practical help in the book of James. So examples from my life. I, when I thought about coming to talk to you guys about this, I started thinking back. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm a nurse. And so I've been a nurse for a very long time, and I have interacted with lots and lots and lots of people. And I have probably said some good and kind things, and I have definitely said some things that I shouldn't have said. And I remember very specifically one time a patient coming out of anesthesia when people come out of anesthesia, sometimes they're wild and, and you know, flailing about and doing all kinds of things. And this particular woman was. And then once she settled down and the drug started to wear off, she you know, was coming to her wits. And we were talking about it. And I said to her, yeah, you were acting kind of crazy. She took complete offense to that. That was, if you are someone who has suffered with mental illness, you never, ever want to be called crazy. Wrong words, bad words. And so much so that she didn't want to see my face again. So I had to leave. She had to get another nurse. 
Um, one good example came to me this week. So I have been for, actually for the last year, I've been poring over the book of James as I was writing the, the study that the small group is going through now. But for the last few weeks, I've been immersed in this passage we're about to read. And so especially leading up to today, the last week or two, I've been trying to be more intentional about my words and thinking about my words and asking God to, to speak to me through, through my words and help me to have the right words at the right time. And I'll tell you how I thought this was going to play out. I thought at work, as I'm interacting with my coworkers and people, that the Holy Spirit was going to give me the right words at the right time, and I was going to encourage people, and the butterflies would fly, and the, and the, the, you know, the bees would be singing, and the birds would be singing, and everything would be joyful, and it would be great. And what actually happened this last Friday was uh, there were just some really difficult situations I had to deal with that, that people were dealing with in their lives. And I had to choose my words very carefully, some, some precarious, sensitive situations that I had to deal with that were hard for me and hard for that person. And I had actually a person come and attack me personally, and uh, not physically, but verbally with their words. And I wanted to say words back to them that were of the flesh. Um, and all I could hear in my head was the words of James saying, don't say what you want to say. Don't fight back. And I had to have found myself offering words of grace to this person. So it didn't play out like I thought it, like I thought it would, but it was an opportunity to apply these words. And I think back uh, to another time yeah, I read actually just on social media this week, someone said they polled a totally unofficial, un unscientific study, if you will, but they polled their, their audience and asked how many people could remember a time where someone said something hurtful to them that, that really stuck with them, that really impacted them. And almost 100% of people could. And when they asked, well, how long ago was that? Almost 100% of people said it was a decade ago or more because words stick with us, right? And... When I, was, when I was a kid, I played Little League. I played softball. And I, I was very petite and tiny. I may not look like it now, but I was always the shortest one, the tiniest one. I had, like, sticks for legs. And I, I, in softball, I played catcher. And it, it was not like today where they have coach pitch. There was no coach pitch. I had some other kid wildly throwing pitches at me. And it was really hard for me to throw a ball all the way to second base it was hard for me to stand my ground with a kid twice my size sliding in to home at me. And I had a coach that pulled me aside and specifically worked with me. And she may have taught me some skills, but I remember her words. I remember her telling me that I could do it. And after working with her for a time, I got better. Or at least I thought I did. At least I had confidence. And, and that was because of her words. And I remember as a young adult, uh, new in my career as a nurse, I, I had the opportunity to speak to a group of even newer nurses, and the person coordinating the class said, you're really good at teaching. And that stuck with me, and no one had ever told me that before, and it meant something to me. And I eventually became a professional teacher of nurses, and then that's really what led to me eventually starting to teach the Word. And I also remember a time at church that I was at a women's conference, and I was talking to a group of women, and a friend of mine said to me, I don't know how you work so much outside of the home. I couldn't be away from my kids that much. I don't know how your kids can get from you what they need if you're not there with them. And those words stuck with me for a while, and it took me a while to move past that. 
And I also remember, as I thought about this over the last two years watching on social media, and I'm sure you all have seen it too, as people, Christians even, just plundered each other with their words and, and just so thoughtless and careless and, and just <laughs> dividing us further than any virus ever could with those words. And I remember thinking to myself, Satan is loving this. This is exactly what he wants. Because talking is something that we do so freely, so often, and sometimes so mindlessly, we forget the discretion with which we should approach our speech. But words do, in fact, matter. God spoke words, and a world, our world, came into existence, and then he created us, right? And we're created in his image. And so our words have power, too. So we're going to read from James 3, if you want to flip there, James 3 verses 1 through 12, and let's see what James has to say about words and the tongue that they come from. He says, not many, not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies and consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell." Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. He repeats that, the same thing he just said, if you note, just in case we didn't get it the first time. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. So those are the words of James. And even though I picked, as I'm here today, I picked this, this message to speak from. Russell had asked me which, which passage I'd like to teach from in the book of James. And this is the one I picked. But once I sat down to prepare the message to talk to you guys, I have to say I was intimidated because, first of all, words is an area I've stumbled on. And stumbled is a fancy word for sin, right? I have sinned with my words many times. Yet here I am teaching, them, teaching about them to you. And then what's the first thing that James said? Not many should become teachers. <coughs> okay. Um, yet here I am teaching. So I just want to share a little bit about my background with teaching and how, how I got to be here. Like what, what led me to begin to teach the word. About 10 years ago, maybe a little more than that because it was before Luke was born, I took for the first time a spiritual gifts assessment. Am I the only one that does that? You, you gauge things by the, when your children were born? Like, was that before or after that one was born? And so about 10 years ago, I took a spiritual gifts assessment. That was the first time I had ever done one of those. If you have not done one of those, I do recommend it. I think it's very eye-opening. It's interesting to do. But on the spiritual gifts assessment, by far, my top gift was teaching. 
which shocked me because I never thought of teaching spiritual things or being a teacher of the word. And so like a good student, I went back to church on Sunday morning because we met in our small group on Sunday mornings, but I kept my mouth shut. I did not utter a word to anyone. I did not speak at all for fear that anyone would ask me, well, what does yours say? Because I didn't want anyone to know that (laughs) because then I was afraid they were going to ask me to teach. And I was completely intimidated by that. So I kept that completely to myself for a while. And what does James say? James says there's wisdom in taking caution before teaching. Why? Because those who teach will be judged with, with greater strictness. But I don't think that if you read that, it might, it might feel discouraging to someone like me who teaches or someone, anyone else, any of you maybe who, who have that same gifting and haven't leaned into it yet, or any of you who have taught. Sometimes those, reading those words can feel discouraging, but I don't think James is wanting to discourage us. God's word doesn't discourage us. It's not discouraging those who are called to teach from doing so. And he's also not trying to save us from criticism. He says you'll be judged more strictly But it's not that he wants to to save our feelings. In his day, there was great status associated with teachers and being a teacher. And so there were people that for their own selfish ambitions, wanting to rise to that position, would be teaching. And so it's a warning that, that teaching is not about you and your position and esteem. It's about spreading the word of God, right? So it's a warning to take the role seriously and understand the consequences of unfit teaching and poor teaching. And so I don't think he's trying to scare us away from teaching, but he is saying that if you're teaching, if you're going to teach, you better make sure that what you're teaching aligns with the word. And and also that part about the criticism, as Christians, we have to expect persecution, right? I mean, Paul, the disciples, um, Jesus himself were persecuted and criticized. That's something we we have to expect, and the Bible tells us that. But James, maybe he's giving us a heads up about that. More than that, I think, he's warning us about living rightly so that we can withstand that criticism that will inevitably come. And we can all think think of the damage that's done when a famous preacher, a famous evangelist, falls when, when they sin in very big ways and there's a, there's a scandal. Think of the damage that's done to the, the purity of the gospel message, the damage that's done to the church when that happens. And then contrast that with the life of a teacher who has heeded James' warnings. I think of Billy Graham, somebody that's just lived an honoring life that has brought millions of people to know the Lord. There's power in teaching but it's a, it's a power to take seriously. So for the good of the kingdom and keeping the gospel message pure, not everyone should be teachers. So then, what am I doing here? And what business do any of us have teaching at all? And, and then for anyone who's not a teacher of the word, what does this mean to you? Why, you know, why even go into that? Well, first of all, James says, in, let's see, 122, back in 122, he says that we should be doers and not just hearers of the word. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So when I heard God tell me that my gifting, the gifting he put in me was teaching and I ignored it and kept it to myself, I was deceiving myself. I was deceiving myself if I thought that God was going to let me just let that go without a persistent word from the Holy Spirit. 
and he didn't. And so God later directed me, directly told me, I remember driving in my car and him telling me, I want you to start a Bible study. I want you to teach others. And again, I told him no, (laughs) because it was very intimidating to me to think that I would be teaching others when I knew there was so much I myself didn't know. But he was relentless, and he pursued me, and eventually sent others alongside me to encourage me, and I did start to begin to teach the Word. And for anyone who's not a teacher, whether you want to or not, we as Christians are all teaching the world around us who Jesus is all the time either your children or if you have them, your co-workers, your friends, we are showing the world who Jesus is. We learn who Jesus is by reading his word and by experiencing him in our lives. The world learns who Jesus is from us. And so whether we want to or not, we're all teaching on a stage or elsewhere. And so if you look at verse two, if you have your Bible open or if you're looking at your phone, if you look at verse, verse two, I think that James is saying that if we control what what we are saying, if we can filter our words and tame our tongues, our witness will be more powerful. And if I rephrase verse two in in today's terms, I kind of thought about how can we apply this more to, to how we live our life. I would rephrase verse two and say this. The person who can reframe thyself from immediately sending a snarky email response, including the phrase, per my last email, and as you are aware, is able to control their whole being. So if you think of it like that, James is saying, if we can filter our words and tame our tongues, our witness will be more powerful. And so he goes on after he, this, this uh, discussion of teaching and being able to control our tongues, he talks about the power of the tongue. James supports his warnings that he's giving us with this idea of small things being very powerful. And so he says, here's the examples he gives us. A small bit controls the whole horse. A massive and powerful animal controlled by just a small bit here. A small rudder steers a whole ship, even though it's pushed around. It's so big and it's pushed around by winds and currents, just like I was pushed around on Friday at work and and out in the world. Um, Yet the ship is controlled by a small rudder. Two small pedals, for examples for us, in our world, two small pedals control the speed of our cars. Grown people's weekends and Monday nights and perhaps emotional well-being are controlled by a tiny football. If you aren't feeling these examples, um, another one I thought of, just have a baby. That small little creature will change your whole world. Small things can have mighty power. And I, I read recently Kathy Lee Gifford's book, well, she has many books, but one of her books, and I'm not necessarily a big fan of hers per se, I'm not against her either, but I ran across this book, and it was such an encouraging, uplifting little book, and one story that she shared, she just, I learned a lot about her life in that book, and one story that she shared, if you remember a long time ago when Kathy Lee and Regis were on their show together, Howard Stern was very cruel to her. He constantly picked on her. He constantly talked about her. And and I do remember this. And it was something that she endured and she talked about it. And and really for no other reason than his tongue was set on fire by hell, you know, just just to be mean and for spite. And so that happened and she lived through that. And then many years later, she was on, I think it was Good Morning America, 
and uh, the morning show with Hoda. And she was, she was there at the studio for her very last day of that show. And this is decades later after the time when Howard Stern was attacking her. And she's there that morning, and she had heard that Howard Stern was starting a new show. And if you don't know, Kathy Lee is, is a Christian and uh, professes to be a follower of Christ. And so that, that morning, as she sat down in her chair to do her makeup, you know, she's a tiny woman, little petite, five foot two, I think, and she had no makeup, hair not done, sits down in the chair, and she sees Howard Stern walk by. And she said what she didn't know was that all the staff have, had been said, because this was the one day that they were both going to be in the building and they knew the background, all the staff had said, make sure you keep them separated. Do not let them be near each other. But he happened to walk by her dressing room and she saw him. And she said she heard the Lord tell her, go talk to him. And she's like, now? You see how I look? He's been making fun of me for years. And the Lord said, yes, now. So she got up with her tiny self, had to go tap him with his big, tall, six foot five or however tall he is self, get his attention. And she said, Howard, I just want to tell you good luck with your new show. And he said, thanks. And the way she tells it was, you know, it was a little awkward. And she went back, she got ready, he did his show, she did hers. And she said her phone rang later that night and he called her and he said, I just want to thank you. I mean, I remember all the words from the, from the book, but he, he told her how grateful he was and how he didn't deserve for her to be nice to him in any way, shape, or form, and how he had been in therapy, and he had reformed his life, and he was trying to make amends for all the things that he had done, and that how much he appreciated her kindness towards him. And so her just little words, I think that sometimes we feel like our words have to be some kind of big monumental thing. We have to, we have to quote scripture or have the exact right thing to say, but all she said was have a good show. And that meant so much to him and probably helped him move past all the things that, uh, that he had done to her. And so I just thought that was a, a great example. But this small thing, the tongue, can also be destructive. And James says it's like a flame that can set a whole forest on fire. Big trees that are beautiful and majestic, but yet vulnerable, especially if they're dry from lack of rain. All it takes is a spark to start a fire, right? And James says we've got more than a spark. We've got flames from hell that we can spew out. And then he says that humanity can tame all manner of beasts. Genesis tells us this. If you look in Genesis, humanity can tame all manner of beasts, but we cannot tame our tongue. Thank you, James. That's encouraging. But... And it's evident because he gives us lots of examples. With one mouth, we praise and we curse creation. And we're going to get to how, how you know, we can actually deal with this. But how do we do that? How, with one mouth, we, we come to church. We praise the Lord. We sing praises. Um, we, we speak of God in our homes, whichever way you go about doing it. And then we go out in the world and, and we say things that we shouldn't say. One example that came to mind, I'm a huge fan of the movie Steel Magnolias. I don't know if you are. Love the movie. And a lot of the scenes from the movie I have mostly memorized. And one of my favorite scenes that always makes me laugh is the scene where Anel and her fiance, Sammy, get into this argument. And so they're coming back to Anel's house, and she's in a bit of a tizzy anyway. 
and she opens her fridge and she sees beer in it. And she says, Sammy Dwayne DeSoto, what is this in my Frigidaire? And he says, beer. And she says, well, I don't care what you keep in your refrigerator, but you will not keep liquor in mine. And she takes the beer out and she goes to the back porch and opens it up and starts pouring it out. He follows her out there, looks and sees what she's doing. And I am not going to take the Lord's name in vain in church like he did. So I'm just going to say teddy bears. And he says, oh, teddy bears a nail. And she says, what? What did you say? Is that the name of our Lord and Savior that you took in vain? And he said, that's the one. (laughs) And it went on. And I think it's funny because clearly Anel had harped on him on other things, and he was a little bit at his boiling point. And there was a little more going on there, and anybody who's married can appreciate that. But the issue that Anel had was that he was taking the Lord's name in vain, and that's a serious offense. And I think that we do that. I hear it all the time. I hear it all the time. And it's one of the Ten Commandments, right? That we shouldn't do it. And, and why is that such a big deal? It's insulting. It's insulting to take the name of God in vain. And it slips out of my mouth too sometimes. And, and I hate that it does. I mean, the one who died for us, the holy God, and we take his name in vain. And how would we like it if someone used our name as a curse word? Like, it's, it's not okay. And so that is something we have to rid ourselves of. And I have another example of how this has occurred in my life. As I was writing the study of James, where he talks about, you know, carrying out um, good works in your life, living your faith out in your life, and I'm learning about all this and I'm pouring over all this, I went to a soccer game for my niece. And I would like to say that I have been to many soccer games because my daughter's played soccer for a decade plus, and this has never happened any other time. I don't know why on this particular day, but there was a man there that was, he was yelling at the other players of the other team. He was a, he was a man that was a father of one of my niece's teammates, for the team I was there watching. And he was yelling at the other team's players, stop fouling, stop pushing. He's yelling at the ref, who was all of 16 years old, you know, ref, do something. Um, I mean, there's really never a time other than kids' sports where adults can act more immature, I don't think. It really brings the worst out in us sometimes. So I'm hearing this man, and he's just irritating me, irritating me, irritating me. And he, at one point, he's standing over my chair, yelling at these two 11-year-old girls about them pushing. Stop pushing! She's pushing! And I turned around, and I said, it's allowed, bro. Um, he didn't like that. <laughs> and so he proceeded to yell all kinds of things at me, and then it became a whole thing, and then my husband got involved, and then my brother got involved, and... And, you know, was he in the right for how he was acting? No. Did I make it better? No. I fanned the flames of hell with my tongue. And here's the worst part. Do you think that anyone watching that said, I bet that's a good Christian woman. (laughs) I bet she preaches at church on Sunday sometimes. No, they did not. And so I did not show the world who Jesus was, and I did not represent James, and I did not represent my faith. And so I want us to think about this example that he's talking about, this, this a forest being on fire. So my husband is a fireman, 
And one thing that that means is that when you go places, you get all kinds of fire science education, whether you want to or not. And so one thing that he has taught me is that in forest fires, we've all heard the awful stories, forest fires in California and these other places, because we don't have forests in Hutto, um, and how they spread and they can't get them to stop and all of that. And one thing that he taught me is that around a house or a structure, they will create a gap. And so when you see a home in a forest, there, there will be a gap where the trees stop and there's grass or whatever. That is not just aesthetics. It protects the home or the structure from fire because that, that fire can't as easily spread. And in fact, it's quite difficult to spread to that structure. And I believe as Christians, that's what we have to do. We have to stand in the gap. We have to be the gap. And how do we do that? Is it wearing a Bible verse on your t-shirt or putting a church bumper sticker on your car or one of those honk if you love Jesus? No. How we do that is by how we live. And so I think we harness the power of the tongue and stand in the gap and rebuke the danger of the tongue by several things. So one is being filled by the Holy Spirit. We have to remember what's inside of us will come out. And so if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, that is more likely to come out in those moments where maybe at a soccer game, somebody's yelling over you and they're set on fire by hell, yelling at a 16-year-old girl and 11-year-old girls, but you have to be the one to stand in the gap and not fan the flames of hell. So be filled with the Holy Spirit. How, do we, how are we filled with the Holy Spirit? You pray regularly. Invite the Holy Spirit to be in charge. And then I think we get into the word. We dig into the word. That's what we're doing here today. And that, I will tell you, this past Friday, the reason that the Gina didn't come out that wanted to sass mouth somebody on Friday at work with those situations I was dealing with is because I had been pouring over this word and all I could hear was James in my head saying and the Lord in my head saying and the Holy Spirit saying, don't say it, don't say it. So it works. So be filled with the Holy Spirit. Read scripture, pray regularly, invite the Holy Spirit every day to be in charge of our lives. So I think another thing we can do to stand in the gap is to heed the words of James. Those simple words, be quick to what? Listen. listen. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Such wise words. I think another thing we can do is to submit. Submit our small but tiny rudder that, he calls, that we call the tongue to God. Submit our tongue and our words to God. And then I think the, another thing we can do is just make a habit of speaking life. Speak life to each other. Our words should be life-giving. If our words are destructive, if we stop and think, that's why we have to be quick to listen. If we stop and think about what we're going to say, if it's not going to speak life, we should not speak it. And so I have some Proverbs here um, that we're going to read through that I think offer some wisdom, some also, just like James, just applicable wisdom that we can use in our life. The first one says, A wise person is cautious and turns from evil, but a fool is easily angered and is careless. That's Proverbs 14, 16. And it just tells us to just be careful with our words. Be careful and not careless. The second one is Proverbs 29, 11. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise person holds it in check. As a Christian, we should hold our venting in check. And so often we want to vent, right? We want to let it all out because it feels like it's going to explode in us. 
And we have to allow the Holy Spirit to help us to hold our venting in check. Psalm 141.3 says, Lord, set up a guard for my mouth. Keep, uh, keep a watch at the door of my lips. When God prompts us to shut our mouths, we should do it. Proverbs 10.19 says, when there are many words, sin is unavoidable, but the one who controls his lips is prudent. And we may not, this is where, when James says we cannot tame the tongue, we may not be able to contain that tongue, but we can control our God-given lips. And then Proverbs 31, that Proverbs 31 woman, here she comes again. Proverbs 31, 26 says, her mouth speaks wisdom and loving instruction is on her tongue. We are to speak wisdom, not foolishness, and loving instructions, not harsh or unkindness, should be what comes out of our mouth. So four things I think that James has taught us today in this passage. Four things. One, teaching is to be approached with reverence and caution. Not that we shouldn't do it if we're called to do it. Not that we should be afraid or intimidated, but we should be reverent and cautious. The second thing is the tongue is small yet powerful. Don't underestimate it. The third thing is that words can be destructive, unfortunately. And we've all been victims of that, and and we've all dished it out, unfortunately. And we're going to offer ourselves mercy about that today, and we're going to be better when we know better. And the fourth thing is that Christians have to be wise with our words. We have to be wise with our words. So I want you to think about, go back to those two questions I asked you in the very beginning. A time when your words were destructive and harmful, and a time when your words were helpful and encouraging and restorative. And just think about those, think about those times. And based on the instructions of James, you know, what can you do different? What can you do different going forward to glorify God with your words? And one challenge I have is to think about what words have the most power? What words have the most power? And when I ask myself that question, what words have the most power to me? It's words like, God loves you. Jesus died for you. You're precious to him. I had a time one time where... um, I was leading women's ministry, and this woman came in that nobody knew, and she came in just looking for help and encouragement. And so I was called to—we were having a women's event, a social event. Everybody's having a great time, and I was called away to go speak to this woman. And she's in tears. She's clearly in a crisis crisis situation. And as she began to share just bits of her story with me, and I knew nothing about her— I could tell that she, she felt totally unseen and totally like nothing in that moment. And she needed encouragement. And all I kept repeating to her, what, what words the Lord gave me to tell her was, you're precious. You are so precious to God. Those words, I think, are powerful. I think knowing that you can find freedom, people need to know that they can find freedom and redemption in a relationship with God. Those words have power. And so those are the kinds of words I think that we need to speak. And I want us to think about who in our life needs to hear those words. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed today's podcast, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, or visit our website at huddocommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.